0: Welcome to Brave Church. Thanks for listening in today. Regardless of what you believe, where you come from, or what questions you might have, you are welcome here. We're a multi-site church based in the Bay Area. You can get more information by going to brave.church. We hope this teaching helps you find and follow Jesus. Hey everyone, welcome to Brave Church. My name is Samuel Laws and I have the honor of serving as our lead pastor. And I wanna welcome everyone from Dublin, San Ramon, online, wherever you're joining us from. If you're a guest, we're so glad that you're here. We've been in a teaching series called Life Smart, going through the book of James. Now, some people think of themselves more as being street smart, others book smart, but when it comes to winning in life at the things that really matter, the Bible gives us wisdom for being life smart. And so this passage that we're going to look at today is on the subject of finances, which isn't always the easiest topic to talk about, okay? But here's the thing. Here at Brave, we teach through the Bible, and we look at what the Bible says. And so I'm not going to lie, like this is my last message before family vacation, and I was tempted a few times to just skip this passage or teach on something else, maybe just pull the greatest hit out, I don't know. But then I prayed about it and I was like, God, what do you want me to do here? And he, and he really started speaking to me and he really started working on my heart and showing me that, you know what? This is an important topic. And I believe that God wants to say some important things to us about money. And so I wanna encourage you, regardless of where you're coming from, even if this is your first time here, have an open heart, have an open mind. I believe God wants to speak to us. So maybe you've been part of a church where whenever they talked about money, it's like, they want something from me. Here at Brave, we don't want something from you. We want something for you. And so when it comes to money, it can be a blessing or a curse. According to the Bible, money isn't a bad thing, which often gets misunderstood. I think sometimes in church, you know, we have a hard time not going to one of two extremes. We either think if you don't have a lot of money, Maybe you're doing something wrong. Maybe you're making some bad choices or you're just not, not doing the right stuff. And then if you're wealthy, we think, well, they must be a little greedy or they must, they must be a little selfish or maybe they cut some corners or they did something that, that wasn't quite right. How, how are they so wealthy? See, neither of these perspectives are from God. Money problems aren't created because money is bad. It's the love of money that is wrong. When money becomes too important, when it becomes an idol. See, God's heart for all of us is to be more free from the power of greed. Uh, I think of money kind of like fire. I think fire is a great metaphor for money because fire can keep you warm on a cold day. It's powerful. It's like a passion that can be channeled to do all kinds of things. But if uncontrolled, it can burn down a house destroy an entire forest and bring all kinds of destruction. And so we need wisdom to experience the benefits of money, the blessing of money and avoid the problems and the curse. So if you have a Bible with you and you wanna go, you can go to James starting in verse one, chapter five, verse one. And we're gonna begin by reading our passage. It says this, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming to you. Your wealth has rotted. Moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you have failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Turn to the person next to you and say, That was intense. <laughs> okay. Now, now you see why I was tempted to pass. I read this passage and I was like, Hard pass. Then I repented and God just started showing me that there's a lot to learn here. So we're going to get into it. Okay. The first decade of the 21st century will go down in history for showing us the results of a greed is good philosophy. Okay, we saw the global financial crisis, it was generated by corrupt merchant bankers, which by the way, most of whom are still banking today, kind of interesting, but virtually it brought down the world's banking system. It brought it to its knees. And then as a consequence, Western governments were weakened by unstable debt, and now further weakened by taking over the debts of their banks and paralyzed by the face of a worldwide recession. All of this comes down to greed. Only in the kingdom of heaven will greed no longer drive us. And so this passage shows us what happens when greed takes over. It shows us what it looks like when greed becomes the driver of our lives. And to be clear, I'm not talking about the drive to provide. Or, or to provide for your family or meet your basic needs. The question is, how much is enough? According to greed, nothing is ever enough. See, most of us, we hope to have enough saved away someday for our old age. And most of us want other people to have enough too. But when given the opportunity, most of us store up way more than we actually need to feel secure. This is a paradox. See, on on one hand, it's not wrong to have a lot or more than enough, wealth isn't bad. But on the other hand, what James shows us is what we're capable of when our hearts are driven by needing more than we truly need. This is the dark side, when when we give in to our greed or we, we take provision into our own hands rather than trusting God. The title of today's teaching is Wisdom for Wealth. We need wisdom and discernment in this area that is so intimately affecting all of our lives. By the way, I know not everyone here thinks of themselves as wealthy, okay? And I get that. We're all at different places with our finances and some of you might be in a really hard place right now. We are here for you. Okay, Brave Compassion is a resource for those in need, meeting the needs of people in our church. City Serve is a ministry that we partner with that serves people who are in need and in help in our region. They do it so well. They're doing incredible work. So truly, not everyone is wealthy, but you're probably more wealthy than you think. From a global perspective, if we live here, we're wealthier than most people. Um, New York Times bestselling author, Daniel Pink, he lays out some signs of American abundance from recent decades. Check this out. He says, today, the United States has more cars than licensed drivers, which means that on average, everybody who can drive has a car of their own. Self-storage, a business devoted to providing people a place to house their extra stuff, has become a 17 billion annual industry in the United States larger than the motion picture business. Like storage is a larger industry than movies. Isn't that crazy? When we can't store our many things, we just throw them away. As business writer, Polly Labar notes, the United States spends more on trash bags than 90 other countries spend on everything, okay? In other words, the receptacles of our waste cost more than all of the goods consumed by nearly half of the world's nations. Now, the point is, whether you're barely wealthy or very wealthy, we all need wisdom as we navigate this topic, wisdom for wealth. So in these these first three verses, James, he talks about the problem with hoarding resources. And really what it comes down to is more than just having stuff. It's the problem of wealth becoming an identity. When the value of our stuff starts to become the place that we find our personal value. Number one, you can write this down, accept wealth's invitation and reject its identity. Accept its invitation and reject its identity. See, wealth is a lifestyle. It's an image, it's a vibe. And when it becomes an identity, it actually robs us of its true invitation. Wealth is an invitation to experience the joy of giving. Do you know what the the definition of prosperity is? It's having more than enough. When you have more than you need, what's the rest for? It's an invitation to make a difference. In this passage, you know, James, he shows us what happens when wealth becomes an identity. The logic of envy, it leads to being willing to do anything to get more wealth, including fraud, violence, and murder. They apparently thought that by doing what they were were doing, building up treasure for their last days, which is kind of ironic, right? They thought that they're preparing for a retirement fund, but they're actually setting themselves up to fall because on the day of judgment, they won't pass. Remember that royal law of love we talked about earlier on in James, to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the law that we'll be judged by. How well did we love our neighbor? So the question is, what do people need from you? Are there people in your life that would really benefit if you shared more with them? Maybe they actually really need some of what you have to give. Uh, The other day, my three-year-old, she sat me down, looked me in the eyes and said, Dada, sharing is caring. And I said to her, this is my ice cream. (laughs) I, I don't know where she learned this phrase, okay? I didn't teach it to her, but it's true. Sharing is caring and kids have to be taught to share. From such a young age, it is not in their nature to share. So we have to teach them and then we become adults and we still need to learn to share. If you have more than you need, you can know for certain that the right thing to do with some of your excess is to help others. Uh, One of the things that I love about our church and that I'm really proud of is how generous you are. It's amazing, it's beautiful. There are people in our church that aren't just toiling away for the day they stop working, they're living with eternity in mind. So let's just think about something for a minute. Do you know how countercultural it is to give? Like seriously, just giving away money, giving away stuff. It's not normal, it's kind of weird, but it's a good kind of weird. It's fun, it's exciting, it produces joy. When was the last time you just gave something away? See, followers of Jesus, that's not just what we do. It's who we are. God calls us to be known by our generosity. We don't find our worth in wealth. We find joy in the invitation it provides to give, to help, and to be a blessing. Here's an idea. When was the last time that you cleaned out your closet or your garage and identified stuff that you really don't need anymore or you weren't really using? What if you gave away the clothes that you weren't wearing to people who don't have clothes? At least once a year, my wife and I, we go through our closets and we pull out stuff that we really weren't wearing or, or doesn't fit anymore. And instead of hoarding it, we give stuff away to help others. We give it uh, to my in-laws and they take it down to Mexico to people in need. And honestly, it just feels so good to know that our stuff isn't just collecting dust, but is a blessing to people who could really use what we have. What do you have that you don't need that you could give away? Next in verses four and six, James, he talks about stealing wages and exploiting workers. Number two, if you're taking notes, write this down. Pay people what they're worth, not what you can negotiate. Pay people what they're worth, not what you can negotiate. Now, most of us would never picture ourselves when we hear this, okay? But here's a thought. Have you ever negotiated or felt good about getting a deal, but it was actually too good of a deal? Like, like, what if you actually stole because the work of the other person was worth more than you were able to talk them down to? Okay, but my mom has multiple sclerosis. It's an autoimmune disease that affects her entire body. And so there are a lot of things that she can't do. And one of them is cleaning the house. And so she's needed a house cleaner for a long time. Well, Marcy and I, we have, we have three little kids. And when we brought the third one home from the hospital, I looked around and I'm like, this place is a mess. Like, we need some help. We just need someone to come over at least once and clean this place out, okay? And so after our third baby was born, we decided to talk to our parents' house cleaner. And so we got her number to see if, if she could come by. And you know, my personality is I want the best effort for the best price. I love to negotiate. It's like a game to see, hey, what can I get? So, so I went in and I was ready to get the deal, but Marcy didn't agree with me and I didn't get it. I'm like, babe, let me, let me do this. This is my thing. Let me take care of this. And she was, she was way more concerned about what's fair. I'm gonna be honest, that didn't even make sense to me at first. Marcy helped me see that by negotiating and being stingy, I was actually moving towards the side of exploitation rather than what was just and fair. See, Proverbs says a laborer is worthy of their wages. When was the last time you thought about eating out and paying for someone to clean your house or babysit your kids or tipping your Uber driver and you had the thought, what can I get for this? How how low will they go? What if instead we asked, what's fair? What's honoring of their labor? What's this worth? How can I honor and even bless with extra? See, according to James, if you have the means to pay the true wage, tip, give, or bless, we have no excuses. He, he goes on uh, and, and he, he paints this picture that it's a legalized form of murder when we don't do this. To deprive someone of their means of life, to deprive an employee of their wages is to shed blood. And so if you're a business owner or, or someone who sets the salaries of others. If, if your model or way of setting salaries isn't set up in a fair and equitable manner, it's actually robbing from others. I've never done this before, but, but when it comes to salaries, you know, I wanna address two groups of people. I wanna say thank you to the Brave Church staff because ministry is not the most lucrative vocation that you can have. You know, Recently, we had an outside firm do a compensation study to make sure that we're within the range uh, of what's appropriate based on cost of living, national averages and the size of our church and the roles and all this stuff, because you know, we want to do well at taking care of our team. But that said, many of the people on our staff could make more money doing other things, okay? They could take their skills elsewhere and do really well, but that's not why they're here. They serve in vocational ministry because they're called to it. So I wanna thank them. Let's just give them a hand, huh? But I also wanna thank the committed members and core people who regularly give to Brave Church. Without your giving, we wouldn't be able to pay anyone because your giving takes care of them, they're able to take care of you. We are 100% supported by the voluntary giving of our members, that's what funds everything we do. And so at the beginning of this teaching, you know, I made it really clear that we aren't trying to get something from you, that's not where I'm going with this, that's not the heart but let me pastor you for a moment. Because this is important. If we don't contribute to our church, if we don't contribute to the place that's serving us where we're regularly attending and showing up, we might need to ask ourselves some questions. Like maybe you've never thought about it, but it's, it's kind of like if someone had you over for dinner and, and they cooked for you and you were their guest and they didn't ask you to bring anything or do anything. They just wanted to serve you. They were there to serve you. And then they had you over the next week and the next week and the next week and the next week. And at some point, if you don't offer to do something or bring something or help with the dishes, like this is now a regular thing, I'm coming over every week. At some point, when we join a community and we're served by a community, a healthy, mature response is to contribute. Well, when you do this, it's not because there wouldn't be food if you didn't or the dishes wouldn't get done. That's not the point here. It's not about the need, it's for you. It's for us. See, see, when we give and we serve, God shapes our hearts. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where's your heart? Well, what do you do with your treasure? If you treasure people, you're gonna give them what they deserve and then some. If you treasure your church, you're going to contribute. You're going to give, you're going to serve. You're going to not just show up. If you treasure your family, you're going to give them your presence, your energy, your attention, your love, and your support. Healthy relationships are reciprocal. And so I wonder if God is inviting you to do more, which leads to our last point, verse five. In verse five, it says, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence, you have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Number three, see how your blessing correlates to blessing others. See how your blessing correlates to blessing others. You know, James here, he's basically saying, these people live in luxury and pleasure without consider- considering the terrible judgment of God. No one wants to be the plumpest calf in the stall when the butcher shows up, right? If God gives you more, How does the more correlate to not just blessing you and your family, but blessing others? If this question doesn't cross your mind, it's probably more about you and what you can get than what you can do to give and to help others. See, um, there's this study, and this is all just in our nature, in our broken human nature. There was a Harvard study done that focused on the level to which participants valued seeing themselves as doing better than others, okay? Students at Harvard, they were, they were asked to make a, a seemingly straightforward choice. Which would you prefer? A job where you made 50,000 a year, okay, that's option A, or one where you made 100,000 a year, that's option B. That seems like a no brainer, right? Like option B is what you should choose. But there was one catch. In option A, the students who get paid 50,000, their peers get 25,000. But in option B, where where you're choosing 100,000, your peers are making 200,000. So option B still makes more sense because you're getting more if you choose option B. But what did a majority of people choose? They chose option A because they preferred to do better than others, even if it meant getting less for themselves. They'd rather get less than more if it meant other people would have more than them. So they chose the option that was worse in absolute terms, but better in relative terms. People don't just care about how they're doing. They care about their performance in relation to others. We wanna be further along. We wanna be better off. We don't value the blessing of others. Uh, In traditional Middle Eastern culture, when you want the community to know that, that you've acquired wealth or you've been blessed, you don't buy an expensive car or a large house with acres of grass around it. No, instead, you host meals with three times as much food on the table as anyone could eat. The the modern Western way of of showing off possessions, it actually assumes isolation. It assumes, hey, now that I'm wealthier, I want more distance between me and the community. In other words, it's enough that you drive by and see what I have and and that feels good. But no, in the biblical paradigm, the, the psalmist, you know, he gives this imagery in Psalm 23 of preparing a table before me. This has to do with community and life, that that when one person is blessed, it actually strengthens and blesses others. That there's a correlation to our blessing and how it blesses other people. We can't close our eyes and and think that we have no part to play in addressing the poverty gap. If we do, we're, we're adopting a common view, not a kingdom view. And so here's a question. Are there ways that you could repurpose what God has given you to also bless others. Or, or here's a question, how much of your view of your own blessing is only about you? Uh, one of the biggest blessings in, in, in our family's life came through this spiritual family, some people in this community. My wife had, had just gotten, and I had just gotten married and she had just finished college. She was the first in her family to get a college degree and we were still paying for her student loans. And so we owed over $10,000 and we were really far off from paying off that debt. And then a friend reached out and said, God's put it on our heart to pay off Marcy's student loans. We were blown away. Like we couldn't believe it. We were, we were so humbled. We were so appreciative. It was so unexpected. What if God wants us to be that kind of blessing to others? What if that's normal in the kingdom of God? What if that's what it looks like in modern day? You know, in the early church, they sold possessions to meet one another's needs. See, so see, you might not be rich. You might not see yourself that way. And it doesn't mean that you can't make a difference in someone's life. If you know someone has debt or someone that has a need, what if you could help them? Wouldn't that be wild? Like someone that you're not even related to? How does your blessing correlate to the blessing of others? I don't know where you stand. Maybe this whole talk, you're, you're torn between expecting more from people who have wealth and kind of being frustrated that they're not helping others more. Or maybe you're feeling bothered because you feel like you're being expected to do more and to give more. Neither of these perspectives solve the problem because neither one leads to repentance. Guilt is not the goal. Guilt doesn't solve the problem of greed. The thing about God is he's really rich. Like, like he's richer than anyone else we know and not just in resources, but he's rich in grace. See, maybe you're feeling that grace right now. Maybe the Holy Spirit is making himself known. We're talking about money. Did you know that Jesus talked about money almost more than anything else that he talked about? This is powerful stuff. You know, there, there are a few things I pray over my daughters every night before bed. And one of them is that they will be full of the Holy Spirit and become aware of God's presence at a young age. I don't want them to just be convinced of the way of Jesus being better because it makes sense or it sounds fair or it looks good. I want them to experience it and know in their hearts that God is enough. That's the wisdom of wealth, that God is more than enough. He's more than enough for us. He shows us through his grace and his generous presence. Would you bow your heads and join me? Let's pray. God, I pray for each person gathering with us right now. Lord, I pray that you would make yourself known, known through provision, known through grace, known through forgiveness. And if there's anyone with us right now that has yet to decide to follow you or commit their life to you, but they're feeling in this moment, they're feeling like that's what you want them to do, that they're ready to accept your invitation to eternal life. I'm just gonna ask you wherever you're listening from, go ahead, raise your hand as a physical action, as a moment of declaration, whether you're in a gathering or you're at home by yourself, you can, with nobody around you, raise your hand as a moment of saying, this is my decision, I wanna follow Jesus. And agree with this prayer in your heart. Dear Jesus, thank you that you died for me, that you were so generous to give your life and to pay a price that I could not pay for myself. God, today, even though I still have questions, I don't have everything figured out today, I give my life to you. I commit my life. I make you Lord and Savior of my soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as we close, I want to leave you with this question this week to ask yourself, God, how would you lead me to be a blessing to someone else? See you guys next week. Thanks so much for joining us today and listening to today's teaching. We really hope this message has impacted your life. Now, if you'd like more information about who we are, you can visit us at brave.church. There, you're going to find more information about our on-campus gatherings, our upcoming events, and ways to give and partner with what God is doing through our church. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and hit the like button on this message. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope to see you next time.